Thanks to BetterHelp for its continued support of Another Mother Runner. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash AMR. Start living a better life today. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process, so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash AMR. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea, joined by Katie Snevice. Hello, Katie. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Yes, yes. Oh, uh, got my feet back under me in Portland, Oregon, after being in Costa Rica for ten, being gone for ten days. I um, missed you dearly. I mean, we usually oh. talk almost every day. So tell me, <laughs> I saw a picture of you ziplining. What are some of the other highlights from the trip? Awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh! When they tried to have they, um, yes, the um, so I was with my sixteen-year-old twins, my husband and I. We left our nineteen-year-old daughter home. Um, and, uh, cause I'm a mean mom, um, to say, do you not like her or no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know you adore Phoebe. So yes. So the four of us went zip lining and there were, um, two other families with us on the tour. And, uh, I don't know. First of all, I guess I thought when we went that zip lining, you just did it from one tree to another and then you were done. I didn't realize mm. that it's a tour. <laughs> So. It's a whole shebang. Yes. yes. So anyway, so after maybe let's say the fourth or fifth time, the guides were like, okay, we're, you know, hang upside down. And, and <laughs> You're like, like, what? I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not happening. And, uh, there was this woman, this mom was there. She actually had twins who were just a couple of weeks younger than ours. Um, and she was from Dallas. And boy, don't mess with Texas because that woman was like, boom, you want me to go upside down? Done. Oh my gosh. I know there are just some people who do not care about that kind of stuff. They're adventure and thrill seekers. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. And, um, because when I first went, um, you know, so right before we started, I started to feel kind of panicky. Mm-hmm. And, and then as I, as I'm happy, you know, partway across the first zip line, I look back and I thought I can, I, I can have a freak out. I thought, mm-hmm. or I cannot have a freak out. Right. I choose not to have a freak out. Good, good, uh, good choice. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so there was one other mother on the tour and I'm not saying that only moms don't hang upside down, but, <laughs> but she, she looked at me and she, after we saw the woman from Dallas go, she looked at me and she goes, are you going to do it? I'm like, no way. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm thinking the harder these guys push me to do it, the more I'm digging my heels in. <laughs> of my topo athletic shoes. Yes. Um, I'm a little stubborn. Yeah. Yes. But oh my gosh. So um I was the penultimate person in the whole group to go. And then Jack was the last person. And boy, there's Big Jack coming across upside down. No like, way. He did it. Wow. I was like, you go. Uh, yeah. So uh, what was... was the um so I went to Costa Rica about five years ago, but it was just Dan and I. It was an anniversary trip. So we you know, we did a lot of fun stuff, but one thing that I found difficult was running there. Like the train was just a little, we were there during the rainy season too. So Mm -hmm. how did you, I mean, I know you work out almost every day. So how did you you figure that in? So this was, this was toward the end of rainy season and like 
I just was not going to risk running because there are no shoulders on the roads. The roads Uh are very narrow, as you know, very windy. And um, yeah, no, that was not going to happen. So the first place we stayed at had a very hilly driveway that was two kilometers long. So I just went out and walk to the end of the driveway and walk back up. And it was like, we had no, you know, I didn't like swing my arms really, you know, forcefully. I didn't, you know, kind of heel roll, you know, heel toe toe roll or whatever that I learned from my four years at walking magazine. Um, No, it was just, I was just like, okay, it's beautiful. I am in Costa Rica. Maybe I'll see some monkeys and scarlet macaws. Yeah. And and, um, so then the second place we went Oh, and for the record, I was a hundred percent fine with not running. I was like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Well, it's, it's amazing to me that, I mean, it's like a big divide people who work out on vacation and who don't work out on vacation. I am like, you know, just do whatever you're comfortable with. I don't think you should pressure yourself to, if you don't want to, or do it if you, if you want to, like I, yeah, Mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. 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 I mean, because a lot of places I go, you know, if I go to Bend, Oregon or I don't know, San Diego or something like that, where it's gorgeous, it's a different scenery that I'm used to, you know, has accommodations and and people know that people are out there exercising, man, I'm out there. I'm loving it. I'm soaking it all in, but I was mm-hmm. just like, mm, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. So then uh, we went to the second place we went to had an amazing pool and it was kind of, um, it was kind of, it was fairly wide and it was um, crescent shaped almost. And so it was quite long. I mean, it was definitely longer than 25 yards. Okay. Um, and so I, just because I loved it so much, I went out the four mornings we were there. I swam for quite a long time. Uh, the last day I swam for more than 70 minutes. Wow. So, um, so just because no pun intended, I just wanted to soak it in. It was just, I mean, sure. you know, if you turn your head and there's, you know, there's these exotic flowers that smell really good. And there was an iguana watching me most mornings and, you know, he didn't have a whistle around his neck, but I thought of him as my little coach. Uh, <laughs> you don't get an opportunity to swim in an environment like that. I mean, I think it's, it's smart oh, to yeah. repeat every morning. Why not? If it makes I mean, you happy. That's the only one in it. You know, I was outdoors. Oh, it just was, oh, it was delightful. So, and then, um, so then I ended up, um, surprising myself and I ran on a treadmill on our the final day before we left, but that was definitely for anxiety and emotional reasons, because, um, as longtime listeners of the podcast know, uh, my parents, um, quite elderly and, um, you know, I've known for a long time that my 95 year old mother would not be long for this world. And on our, uh, we left on Tuesday and on Sunday, my brother, my, um, who's kind of the head honcho of our family, he texted me and he was like, it's not urgent, but give me a call. Mm -hmm. And I had known that my mother had pneumonia. I knew that before she was sick before I left. And, Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, so my brother told me that they had controlled the pneumonia, but that her lungs were just too weakened to clear carbon dioxide effectively. And so that she had they thought either a few days or a few weeks left. And so, um, uh, I made the decision after talking to him to, so then Monday was going to be our last full day in the country. And I was like, you know what, just, I want a news blackout. Like, just don't tell me anything. Yeah. So, um, but I, I woke up on Monday. I just felt incredibly short of breath. I felt very panicky. I felt just anxiety ridden. Um, and, just tried to shake it off, tried to shake it off and couldn't do it. 
And so my husband and kids in a very bougie move went off and got massages at this place we were staying. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, oh, no, 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 you go ahead. I really thought if I was like face down on a massage table, I would truly have a panic attack. Yeah. And um, so just the day before I wrote about this in our blog, but just the day before when we got to the this final resort, um, we walked past the gymnasium and uh, gymnasio, I guess it's called. And um, mm-hmm. so uh, I looked, we looked in and the kids were like, oh, mom, are you going to run on a treadmill? I'm like, I didn't come to Costa Rica to run indoors <laughs> <laughs> with such derision in my voice. And, but sitting in our very lovely hotel room and, you know, feeling very sorry for my mother and sorry for my family and myself and everything. I was like, no, I'm going to go running. And so went over and ran three miles on the treadmill and just could finally take full deep breaths and was filled with just a sense of calm and strength and, um, knowing that I can get through hard things And, um, not long after that, uh, I got a text from the daughter of my mother's best friend saying how sorry she was to hear about my mother. And I was like, okay, I guess my news blackout was ineffective. I told my brother not to tell me. Yeah. But But um, you heard about it from a friend. uh Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I texted my brother and I said, I, and, and, and like, it was, it was a somewhat vague, like maybe she just meant she was sorry that my mother was not doing well and mm-hmm. you know in hospice and I was like I take it from you know Claudia's message that mom passed and he was like yes so um so made I'm the decision so sorry thanks yeah. yeah 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 so um I resisted calling you you were one of the first people I thought to call um and uh oh, you can always call me but I know that you probably needed time to process it yourself and kind of live with it for a little bit too yeah. Yeah. So I made the decision not to tell the twins. Um, they knew that grandma wasn't doing well, um, that their grandma wasn't doing well, but, um, just thought, you know what? I don't, this, it's a big, de- a big, big deal that we took this trip to Costa Rica. Um, a big deal for our family, big deal in the world of COVID that we did it, you know? Um, so I just made the decision to not, um, you know, dampen the thing by telling them about their grandma passing. So I think that's smart. I think that that, you know, enjoy the last day together, even though you had a lot, um, weighing heavily on you, Mm -hmm. but you seem to have handled it with grace and compassion. Like you do with a lot of things, but I think on behalf of the whole AMR community, we're really sorry to hear about it. Thanks. And sending you our love in a big virtual hug, Sarah. Oh, thank you, Katie. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one, um, side note, I, uh, um, there's a mother runner, Allison, who lives l- literally a long stone's throw from the house that I grew up in. And, um, and so my parents are now buried side by side at a very historic cemetery, right? Um, not too far from the house. Mm-hmm. And, um, Allison sent me a very sweet email and was like, I'm so sorry. And, um, so I told, she was like, is there anything I can do? And I'm like, oh, and she also said that she likes walking cemeteries. I'm like, oh, hey, you know, whenever the, the mood strikes you, if you, you know, here's where my parents plot is in their headstone. If you could just go up there and just, you know, cast your shadow on it for me, that would be great. Mm-hmm. turns out that she happened to be driving by the cemetery at the exact moment of my mother's burial. Wow. And she looked up and like I said, it's a historic cemetery. I mean, so literally there are people buried there from the 1800s. Wow. And, okay. and so, so she looks up and she's like, huh, you know, you never see, you know, burials or funerals there. And so it stood out in her mind. So then when I made her that, and she didn't know that my mom had passed at that point. And so then when she read the blog post and she emailed me and I 
asked her that. She's like, oh my gosh, I saw it. And I was like, that is <laughs> You're like, wait, what do you mean you saw it? <laughs> so I just thought it was so cool that, you know, um, a member of our community saw that, that instant. So it, it, uh, it felt very good to me. It was very special. Good. So yeah, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, we are both very excited about our guest today. It is Danielle Friedman, who's the author of a fascinating, fascinating just released book called Let's Get Physical, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshaped the World. Danielle is an award-winning journalist and her researching, reporting, and writing skills shine in this well-crafted, thoroughly engaging book that details the rise of exercise and fitness in America, particularly women's roles in leading the movement of movement. Danielle lives in New York City. She's a mother runner of a young son. As I said, Katie, you and I look forward to talking with Danielle after this break. Stick around. If you're like a lot of runners, you probably laid out some goals for yourself in 2022. And if you're like a lot of folks, you might also be staring down some mental hurdles in reaching those goals. BetterHelp can help you clear those hurdles. With BetterHelp, you connect in a safe and private online environment so it's convenient. You can start communicating in under 48 hours with a licensed professional counselor, all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room or go through the often overwhelming search for a mental health professional. I love this facet. Because BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Plus, BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. With BetterHelp, you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions and send a message to your counselor anytime. BetterHelp offers a broad range of expertise, which may not be locally available in many areas. Licensed professional counselors specialize in treating depression, stress, anxiety, trauma, anger, grief, self-esteem, and more. Start living a happier life today. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com AMR. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. That's betterhelp.com slash AMR for 10% off your first month. Betterhelp.com slash AMR. Thanks, BetterHelp. It's a new year and you deserve a fresh start in all parts of your life, even at work. Take your team to the next level with a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. That's Indeed. Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. So instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. And as a boutique business owner, I especially love this. Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash AMR. This offer is valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash AMR to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash AMR. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, Danielle. Welcome to the show. Hi, it's so great to be here. We, um, we usually typically start off each show with just a question about your background as a runner. We'd love to hear kind of when you started running and why you started running and what, you know, what your, uh, running life has been since then. Yeah. So I am 40 now and I, I really consider myself a lifelong runner. 
I don't remember my first time out, but I know that I have been running since elementary school. Um, I have been greatly influenced by my dad, who is also a lifelong runner and just the most passionate, exuberant runner I think I've ever met. Um, Mm -hmm. He is uh, just about 74 and we still run together all the time. Um, That's so great. Yeah, yeah. And the thing, I mean, I think it was such a gift that he has given me um, because not only is he passionate about it, but for him, it's never been about, it's, it's really not been competitive or about speed or about anything other than just like the joy of running. So mm-hmm. I did run a season of track and cross country in high school. Um, but I, I learned pretty quickly that I wasn't going to be earning any blue ribbons. Um, <laughs> and, um, and it actually took me a little while to come back to the sport in a serious way. Um, it was really in my early thirties that I, that I, um, just became as devoted to it as I am today and have run a number of half marathons, one full marathon. And even during periods when I'm not like as active as a runner, I still just really consider it core to my identity. And I, I just really subscribe to the, the sort of runner's philosophy and way of life. Nice. Like you just described my philosophy to running too. And my approach, I'm, I'm so on the same page as you just want to go out there and have fun and keep it steady. And yeah, yeah. It's very, for me, like I know as it is for a lot of runners, it's very meditative. Um, it's, it's some, it's very joyful and it's just a way for me to kind of reconnect with myself and, and, um, feel centered and grounded. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So, so you talked about it a little bit in the book, um, and alluded to it. Um, how has your relationship to running changed since you gave birth to your son? Yeah, that is such a great question. Um, I mean the biggest and sort of most, um, most mundane change has just been time or (laughs) the the lack of it. Um, (laughs) I look back on, you know, the training I did before having him and I'm just like, how, why was that ever a challenge for me? You know, Um, (laughs) but, um, but I think uh, probably like a lot of parents, the time that I do have now to get out of the house and run is so precious. And, um, and so is returning from a run and having him greet me. There's just something that's very special about mm-hmm. that. I'm so, so sweet. Yeah. And I'm glad to be able to model, um, you know, running and, and, and being active and all of that uh, for him as well. Mm-hmm. Do you look at exercise um, or running differently since researching your book? I mean, I know you mentioned you ran the New York Marathon, New York City Marathon. Was that before or after or during? That was your research. Before, yeah, that was okay. uh, About a year before I started researching the book. Um, okay. Um, well, yeah, there's a sort of two part answer, I guess. The, for, to answer the, the first question, yes. I mean, I think my views on exercise have been influenced in kind of like a million little ways since researching this project. Um, um, my, my perspective on exercise and running has become much more nuanced. Um, I think the biggest shift has just been, I have such a greater appreciation for the women who came before me, who made it possible for me to have the opportunities to move that I have today. Um, I, in my running chapter, I talk about, um, I talk about how 
because I'm a very slow runner, I also should mention, I just feel like I need to, that I, I've in the past few years become a devoted Galloway runner. I don't know if you've. Oh, yeah, sure. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, run, walk. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm from Atlanta yep. where Jeff Galloway really is yeah. a local <laughs> legend. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, so, um, you know, I, I'm not fast and I hadn't really put together that there were literal, you know, uh, trailblazers who, who made it possible for me to enter road races, um, which I, I can get into a little bit more, but, um, but yeah, so my appreciation for the way things used to be and the opportunities I have has really deepened, which makes my whole practice sort of, uh, feel more meaningful. And then, um, and then, yeah, I, I guess, um, I guess it's all related, but when I ran the marathon, at that time, I just, it was such a, um, I mean, it had been on my bucket list for a long time and I hoped to run more marathons, but it was such mm-hmm. a life-changing experience for me that it just gave me, it really motivated me to want to tell this story. And it gave me a very personal connection to the topic, um, that I think allowed me to just connect with it in a very, um, in a just, uh, meaningful and enthusiastic way. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. So, yeah. So we will get to, um, talking about those, um, some of the women mm-hmm. in, in a little bit, but, um, kind of more famous women, but I, I have a question about, um, uh, not famous women, we might call them everyday runners. Um, so last summer when I first asked you to be a guest on the podcast, mm-hmm. which I have to say was pretty much the furthest in advance I've ever sketched, <laughs> ever planned an episode. <laughs> so, so at that time you mentioned you owed another mother runner, a debt of gratitude for our Facebook community and helping you find women for your research. Yeah. So you got it. You got to tell us that tale. And also if any mother runners from our AMR community made it into your book by way of an anecdote. Um, Yeah, I would love to share that story. So um, one of my dearest friends is actually a previous guest on the show. um, Oh, Kara Catruzula. Um, Nice. So Kara is a fellow journalist, among other things. And um, and so in January, 2020, I think it was, um, when I was just starting the research for this project, she, you know, lent me a hand and in her, she, she has a popular newsletter letter called the Brass Ring Daily. And she included like a call for, um, just for, for participation. I was looking for women and particularly women over 60 who mm-hmm. would be up for chatting with me and sharing, you know, their story. And, um, so she posted about that in her newsletter. And then I think a member of your community spotted it, uh, shared it on the Facebook group. And I was just, I just went and checked and it was January. Yeah. 2020. Um, and, um, and yeah, I just, I, it, it was really, really fruitful. I mean, you never know what kind of a response you're going to get, but so many women reached out. Um, and in, in, a, in some cases too, it was like, um, it, it was sort of a friend of a friend of a friend had passed it along to them, but they had originally <laughs> seen it in the Facebook group. Um, and as far as, as um, making it into the book, um, I, there were a few, I think there were two women who it was, it was sort of like that friend of a friend, you know, who had passed mm-hmm. it along whose stories I incorporate, but just in general, because I, I interviewed via phone, um, many of the, the women who reached out through the group and um, their stories were really, really did help to create the backbone for this project. Mm. Um, mm. 
And I was so appreciative. You know, something I've learned is that when you ask women to talk about exercise, especially women who've uh, lived for a long time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you um, it can get really intimate, and it's it's often more about that. It's more about that uh, just ex- than about just exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and also, I mean, and I sh- the women who um, I had specified over sixty because I was interested in women who had lived through a lot of the history that I write about. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you that I, I, <laughs> I was very excited to hear from you last summer because it felt like it was coming full circle. <laughs> I love that. I love it. You know, I bet you see an uptick in sales from mother runners just to see if their name made it into the book or not after this podcast. Yeah. And, and I, the women who, if, even if they're not mentioned by name in the body of the book, I did include, I did try to include everybody in the acknowledgement. So. Oh, cool. So in the intro of your book, you say in many ways, American women's fitness history is a story of what it is, what it has meant to be a woman over the past seven decades. Can yeah. you elaborate on that, please? Yes. So. One of the things that um, initially drew me to this story was that um, the contemporary fitness industry, as we kind of think of it and experience it today, really began in the 1950s, which um, obviously it was the period right after World War II. And it was a time when really strict gender norms and social norms were in place. Um, And as I as I researched, you know, how and why things had evolved, I realized that um, as fitness for women evolved, so did social norms and and vice versa. And so um, in many ways, you know, fitness and women's fitness culture is sort of a mirror for women's place in society, their power, the opportunities they had and didn't have, um, Mm -hmm. and the way their bodies and their independence was perceived. I obviously, I go into a lot of detail about the, the nitty gritty of how that change happened in the book. Um, um, but, you know, there's a reason why exercise was considered pretty taboo for women when this story begins. Um, and it didn't just, you know, um, it didn't just magically change. There were women who really had to fight for it. And there were also, um, women who were obviously fighting for these broader kinds of social change that in turn created more opportunities for women to cultivate strength. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's stay in that mid 20th century for a second, because I just found it so intriguing. um, Your, your, what the picture you painted of how it was for men and women of that era to exercise that it was this, um, I mean, you'll be able to tell it, but, you know, kind of coming off the, the agricultural community that, you know, kind of lifestyle that we had suddenly, um, it was almost like it was, it was frowned upon to exercise and that that was kind of a foreign thing Mm -hmm. or an odd thing to do. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, there was a real premium on leisure. (laughs) You know, leisure, (laughs) leisure was a luxury as was relaxation. Mm -hmm. Um, and just, and medically there was a lot more, there was a real fear of, um, overexertion. There was, there was more fear around the dangers of overexertion than underexertion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I don't even really, I, this was one, one thing that ended up on the, the cutting room floor, but, um, but the concept of stress really took off in the 1950s 
And uh, at that time, you know, the cure for stress was just take it easy as possible, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. it's still uh, valid to an extent. But yeah, in any case, um, yeah. So um, the earliest, some of the the earliest contemporary fitness pioneers talked about uh, the toll that the modern way of life was taking on Americans bodies. And, you know, we were entering into this period, we were transitioning from a period where, um, the, 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 a major threat was these was basically infections and diseases that were, that were being cured by vaccines and by, you know, penicillin. Um, and the new threat was diseases born of abundance. Um, and of the kind of new, you know, sedentary, comfortable, lifestyle. Um, so Americans were moving less than ever before, using their bodies less than ever before, starting to see some consequences um, along with like the stress of the 1950s uh, are very much connected to it. There was this cardiac crisis that hmm. seemed to, um, it was most associated with afflicting like the man in the gray fl- flannel suit and kind of mm-hmm these middle managers, you know, uh, mm-hmm. relatively young men who were, who were unfortunately, you know, having heart attacks. Um, and it took a while. Um, it took, it took a while for the medical community to, to catch up and to agree that vigorous exercise was, was a solution or a potential solution. Um, and, and not just that, but to be able to provide specifics in terms of how much exercise one needed, you know, what a good metric was and, um, and, and just exactly how it impacted our overall health. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a f- kind of not funny anecdote, but maybe that's why whenever I go back to visit my parents who are in their eighties and I go for a run and I come home, like my face beat red, I'm sweating and like, oh my gosh, Katie, you worked out too hard. Like, are you going to have a heart attack? But I just think that that's what they grew up with, yeah. right? They just knew it was ingrained in their minds that you, you don't want to overexert yourself. Um, and I think my generation has been taught, well, kind of the exact opposite mm-hmm. a little bit with, with, with caution, obviously, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we realize all the benefits of it. Yeah. I mean, there were still these like lingering beliefs in mid-century that we only had a limited number of heartbeats, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, and we didn't, mm-hmm. didn't want to burn them up too fast. Um, so that, yeah, the field of exercise science has really blossomed only in the last uh, 50 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hard to believe. Hard yeah. to believe. Um, and also let's not forget that 40% of Americans smoked at that time. So, yes. um, which is 40%. just 40% wow. mind blowing, almost half of everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. So another misconception, um, from back then spurred a t-shirt that we sold in our online store, the red still waiting for my uterus to fall out. <laughs> we should bring that back. <laughs> yeah. um, some people thought it was very funny. Uh, and, uh, it was I would buy it mo- immediately. Yeah. I, I'm waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, best running friend Molly came up with it one morning on a run. Um, so, you know, that was, that was prompted by the mis- misinformed notion that running long distances or exercising too vigorously was bad for our lady parts. So what did you discover about this, um, you know, notion while researching your book? Sure. Well, the number one thing I discovered was that this was a very pervasive belief. Um, oh. The first time I heard it, 
uh, I was, I was like, really? Um, and then um, hearing about your shirt actually makes me very happy because I still am in a little bit of disbelief. I'm like, this was a this was a thing that many many women believed. But, but I can say, yeah, from four years of research, it really was. Um, I think just I think something that's so interesting about that concept is that um, it it really goes hand in hand with this mid mid century and even you know the latter half. Um, like the, the late 60s and 70, 70s belief that um, that vigorous exercise or strength training would turn a woman into a man. Um, and holy that, smokes. Yeah, yeah. And it it was really interpreted pretty literally like um, and the runner Catherine Switzer talks about how she was told that it would that running when she was a teenager would make her grow hair in unwanted places, grow a mustache, get big legs, which was apparently something women really wanted to avoid. Um, and, and when you think about it, what is more, you know, sort of what, what is more threatening to the idea of traditional femininity than, than losing your uterus and your ability mm -hmm. to have children. Um, so, you know, I think that, that the idea of women's strength and of women competing with men was so threatening that these ideas just, um, you know, acted as a kind of, uh, as a backstop for, for women's progress. Um, I, I will say, and this is, I, I would love, I, I want to do more research into the exact origins of that belief. My fact checker, my fact checker and I um, put, quite a lot of time into trying to trace, you know, trace the, the origin for it, but um, we weren't able to yet, but I can, I can confirm that it was, it was at least if nothing else, an urban legend that just had spread like wildfire throughout the mid century. I'm just going to posit that it was a male doctor who started. The uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're probably right. Yes, probably. Um, so in your book, you weave in the lives and accomplishments of so many amazing women. It makes for such a rich, engaging reading experience for women and men, but primarily women. If there, is there one woman in particular who stands out in your mind? And if so, why does she stand out? Um, yeah, this is such a tough question because I kind of, even though, I mean, as I say in the introduction, so many of these women were were, they were not perfect, you know, they were flawed, mm -hmm. they, they um, were very complex as all humans are, but I also came to just kind of love them all, you know, as <laughs> my pantheon of, of fitness idols. Um, I, this is, this might be a boring answer, but um, I, I mean, I was deeply inspired by Jane Fonda. Um, I only knew a little bit about her personal history and fitness history before um, writing this book. And I discovered it's just, uh, you know, she lived quite a life before. I mean, there's the obvious stuff that people know about her activism and her acting, but, but just her personal life. Um, that led her to go into the fitness industry is so fascinating. And mm -hmm. I think, I mean, she is someone who has been pretty open about her, um, you know, about missteps and about mm -hmm. uh, 
the fact that she's had to learn and change and adapt. And, um, and I think that's really admirable. I mean, because she's obviously done it all very, very publicly. Um, but yeah, I, I encourage, I, I'm excited for people to read about her story in the book. And, um, and I guess I'll just add, um, you know, one thing that I thought was so interesting uh, when it came to her, her workout, when you look at her original workout book, which published in 1981, she was really one of the first to explicitly connect fitness with feminism. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, our bodies ourselves has a a section that I, that was so helpful to me that real, that, that does the same. Um, but she, she took it a step further speaking specifically about exercise and fitness, not just sport. And I think she was able to reach a a broader audience, um, you know, through that platform. So Mm -hmm. she she has many, um, I think there are accomplishments that she, to her name, that people still aren't even really aware of. It sounds like it. Were there, on the flip side of that question, were there any women or women um, that you wanted to include, but you had to leave them on editing room floor, so to speak? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I actually, I think there was as much on the, the editing room floor as there was in the book by the end. And that is to my, <laughs> sure. my editor's credit. Um, but hopefully, I still hope that I can, you know, resurface their stories as, as a journalist. Um, yeah, so just to, to briefly name a few, um, Mm -hmm. in the 1960s, there was a woman named Debbie Drake and it's, I actually was initially going to focus my first chapter on her. And and instead I focused on the pioneer, Bonnie Pruden, Debbie Drake, um, was another early TV, TV fitness guru. Um, she, she's not necessarily one that I uh, would hold up as, as a model. Uh, her whole brand was, she lit her catchphrase was like how to keep your husband happy. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was the name of her, of her LP. Husband happy. Oh yeah. my gosh. And she, she was, she was just hilarious. She wore um, a leotard with a little like collar, <laughs> you know, to make it proper and, <laughs> and tight and high heels and um, just, I wanted to write about her because she was so um, emblematic of how, of kind of the non-empowering part of exercise from that era. Um, mm-hmm. Fascinating story. So there was Debbie Drake. I interviewed the the women who founded the running company Moving Comfort and mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, designed the first running shorts that were cut, you know, for women's bodies. Um, I had no idea that before the late seventies, women basically had to wear like unisex shorts that were not always, um, that, you know, would chafe and were were just not meant for their bodies. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I was, we, I tell the story of the invention of the sports bra, but the invention of women's running shorts, unfortunately didn't make it into the book. Um, so, um, those are, those are a few that really stand out. Mm-hmm. They're good anecdotes. So then how about the, the regular exercisers, you know, the kind of the names that maybe aren't in Wikipedia or something. Mm. Um, what surprised you most from talking to them as background for your book? Yeah, well, I think it kind of goes back to um, what I was saying before about the intimacy that comes from talking to women 
about exercise. Um, something that came up again and again in my reporting was just the way in which exercise has helped women cope with loss. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't really expecting that to come up, but there were, you know, I think it just, it was a, it was a very common theme that women would either discover a new uh, form of exercise or a new community or just find solace in movement um, while navigating a loss. And um, I really loved talking to uh, many, many of the, the regular exercisers I interviewed were in their 70s or 80s um, because I wanted that, that perspective. Um, and, and I just really, you know, I loved hearing about how exercise had been woven into their entire life up to that point. Well, I should say, I mean, these were women who often were not, did not have the opportunities to, to move until their adult lives, but how it had affected them since then. Mm -hmm. um, and also how it was impacting their views on aging. Um, mm -hmm. That was really inspiring for me. I mean, the short answer is, you know, they just, they were viewing aging, they, they felt they were viewing it in a very different way than their own mothers had. And, um, you know, we think about, there's a lot of conversation about exercise as a sort of holy grail or path to longevity, which um, is a, a sort of, um, it's not not true, but um, I liked that, you know, I like just hearing about how, I guess it was improving quality of life and um, separate from the kind of clinical impact of exercise on, on mm -hmm. health and life again, it was allowing these women to live really full lives um, mm -hmm. into their mm -hmm. 80s, 90s and beyond. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of reasons not to exercise, right? But there's a lot of reasons why you should. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in Let's Get Physical, your book, uh, one paragraph in particular really stood out to me, and it's about how running is a bridge between being competitive and setting goals mm. and per and perhaps changing your physique. So it's on page 77. And mm -hmm. um, how about I read it and then you elaborate on it? Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, running offered a kind of bridge. It was both a serious sport and a a form of recreational exercise, one in which women were proving themselves to be capable as men and, and one build as improving your figure. Feminists could advocate for it with a clear conscience and women with no interest in feminism could take it up without feeling especially transgressive. Yeah. So, um, I think, I mean, that idea was really central, um, to, to how and why running took off for women when it did in, in the early 1970s. Um, basically, um, feminists were pretty hesitant to espouse um, some of the other fitness movements that were emerging, emerging around that time for women, like aerobic mm -hmm. dancing um, and, and the kind of exercise that was happening in uh, smaller salons and studios in the 1960s, because there was such a focus on beauty and on shaping, you know, the figure for cosmetic purposes. Mm -hmm. um, but with running, as I say, you know, it, some women, many women took it up for weight loss and for, for aesthetic purposes 
but it did, you know, it was also as it is today, a serious sport. Um, and so for example, you know, Catherine Switzer, the first woman to officially run the Boston marathon with a number, um, was approached by leaders in the feminist movement to be a voice for the cause. And, um, and I really, you know, that, that would, I would not have happened with, uh, some of the, the the pioneers and other forms of fitness. Um, but what it helped mm-hmm. to do was it just, it helped to bring more women um, into the movement, uh, the, the, the fitness movement, the running movement, and to show more women that, you know, they were capable. Um, it kind of, um, it just helped to bring the women's fitness movement forward and, and to the masses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You um, must tell us about some of the books from the late seventies and early eighties that you mentioned in the chapter about running the titles, like the beauty of running and sports illustrated running for women. It sounds like they had quite a different slant on our sport than Sarah and Dimby's three books. Yes. And I, um, I, I have to say <laughs> through this project, I have, I have acquired a vast library of (laughs) vintage (laughs) fitness books. Um, It's amazing what's available on Amazon, I have to say, for like $5. It's incredible. Um, uh, The Beauty of Running was written by Gail Barron, who, um, so I'm I'm an Atlanta native, and uh, Gail is from Atlanta. She, She was the first woman to run the Peachtree Road Race, which- yeah. And I've, that, that race holds a very special place in my heart. I've, I've run it many times and, and she, but she was also, she was just this Southern belle and, um, her book and even, you know, even the sports illustrated book and, and the other guides from that time, they were, they were very focused on convincing women that it was okay. You know, that, um, that, it was something that they could do. And, you know, I'm trying to remember which book it was, but, but it would, it would address things like literally like hair (laughs) and husbands (laughs) and, 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 you know, what to wear, but not in the way we think of it today, like in a really, really basic way. Um, so, and, and, you know, and there were, there was a lot of, uh, a laying of fears as well, um, that it wasn't going to turn women into men, um, there was also a pretty big focus on, on weight loss and, and mm-hmm. figure. Um, but you know, I think that, that obviously that was reflective of the times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting that these books have pretty much been largely forgotten. And, you know, then you think about Jim Fix's mm-hmm. book, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, it's still like a Bible for runners and, and all these other ones addressed to women are just kind of you know, lost to the ages. That's true. I mean, yeah, I think, I think because the cultural mentality about women's, um, capabilities and women's, you know, women's bodies has really shifted Mm -hmm. since then. Um, whereas like, you know, Jim Fix was sort of, uh, some of much of his advice is still, it's, it's sort of gender neutral in that way, (laughs) even though he might've been addressing men more than women, but but yeah. 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 It sounds like maybe some of these, these women's books could be by a clever uh, graphic novelist turned into something, you know, like I can just kind of see some of the advice. Oh being, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The action, I have to say, I mean, 
I, some of my, some of the most cringy women's running <laughs> advice came from, so there was a uh, Bill Bowerman's jogging book, which was a mm-hmm. huge bestseller in, I think, 1967. And, uh, you know, he was famous Oregon track coach. And, um, and he, there was like a small section that was like, and it's, it's jogging is for ladies too, you know? And, <laughs> um, and he literally addresses the fact that, uh, women are not going to get big legs and, and, uh, Ken Cooper, who wrote aerobics the following year is the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I will, I will spare you, but there, the language is just so there's this kind of like exasperated tone of like, you know, it's not going to hurt you if only, but now we just got to like get these ladies out of their beauty salon chairs and convince them to put on, you know, put on sneakers. So, um, it's fascinating. Oh oh my gosh. Thank goodness. We've come a long way in 50 years. We sure have. Yeah. Or we all need to wear rollers in our hair when we go running. And exactly. We can, yeah. do, we can do both. Yeah, that too. That too. Why not? Um, so Danielle, could you um, please talk a bit about how the renowned running boom of the 1970s, this one we've been talking about just now, was different for black runners than white ones? Yeah. Um, well, and I write about this in the book, you know, their um, fitness has a history of really being um, a privilege of largely white, uh, middle and upper class Americans. Um, Mm -hmm. And part of what I write about too is, you know, I explore the reasons why and how we can expand access. Um, In the 1970s, and as is, you know, unfortunately still true to an extent today, Black runners just faced much greater scrutiny, much much harsher threats when they dared to, um, you know, hit the streets in jogging shoes. Um, there were, there was the the racist assumption that they might be um, running from some kind of crime. Um, black runners faced taunts. Um, I should say too that so in the 70s and in the early 70s especially, um, uh, runners, uh, all runners basically um, faced obstacles when they hit the streets to run because it was still it was still considered um, something of a a fringe activity until it exploded. But it was Mm -hmm. just it was just 10 times harder for black runners. Um, There are other racist beliefs that um, black runners faced even within running communities. Um, There was this just, um, just really obviously unfounded belief that black runners were only sprinters because that Mm. was born of sort of this natural ability whereas long distance running required you know, strategy and strength. And so black runners described facing um, just surprise uh, among running communities when they would be out and running. And so um, it was, you know, looking back through archival magazines and newspapers, uh, black publications were certainly encouraging running and and touting the benefits of jogging um, throughout the seventies. But uh, it was just, it was a much more dangerous um, and often, you know, just challenging, 
prospect for runners who weren't white. Mm -hmm. Sad, Mm -hmm. sad. So can't let you go without, um, you've mentioned the word jogging a few times, and that was definitely the term used in the seventies. Um, Mm -hmm. what's, what's your, um, take on that word today? I mean, we, we, at another mother runner, we're definitely all about using the word running, no matter what pace you're going, you know, it kind of Mm -hmm. infuriates me that my beloved New York times still uses the word jogging (laughs) a lot. Uh, so, so, um, it's a very uh, polarizing word, you know, whether or not people like it or not. Yeah, exactly. So, so where do you land on the jogging running spectrum? I mean, of, of to, yeah, to my mind, jogging is a, is a retro word, you know, I really mm-hmm. associate yeah. it. There's like, I hesitate, I hesitate to quote this, but there's that funny, there's like a, a funny anchorman line, you know, where he's joking mm-hmm. about like the new trend of jogging and, um, it's, <laughs> and, um, and, uh, it's, a, and as a, it's, it's a retro word in the same way that honestly, even exercise is sort of has been phased out a little bit. It's more, you know, today working out and, um, getting fit. Um, I also, as a, as a slower runner, I'm, I never use jogging to describe what mm-hmm. I do. I feel, mm-hmm. I'm a runner and I think that, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that you should be in a different category of sport personally based on your speed. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, that, that sort of unfairly divides the running community. Um, yeah. I think, you know, so I think if people, if it makes them feel good to associate, to, to think of what they do as jogging, maybe it takes some of the pressure off. Great. Mm. But, mm-hmm. um, but I personally believe that, um, if you're getting out there and you're running, if you're, you know, if you're moving your body in a running like motion, then, um, you're running. Well, we are going to leave it there, Danielle, because that's exactly the way we feel about it. So. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for joining us. And we, um, just so enjoy your book and, uh, I really encourage everybody to go out and get a copy of let's get physical. Um, it is so good, Danielle. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Thanks, Daniel. Best of luck to you. You too. Well, Katie, I'm going to have to loan you the book. I know you haven't had the pleasure of reading it, but it's just, oh my gosh, it's so good. And Dimity's going to love it. It's a fun read and a very informational read too. Um, And and inspiring, right? I mean, I I think her point about, you know, when I run now, I have a greater appreciation for what the women did before me to allow me to reach this point. And I think that's a cool perspective. You know, we, we take it for granted that we're able to just put on our shoes and go for a run, which was Mm -hmm. not the case, not, not too long ago. I know that's the thing. I mean, it's truly recent history. It is. Or maybe I'm just old and I think that, but it doesn't (laughs) seem like that long ago. Uh, (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, and if um, people are looking to, um, you know, really keep that forward motion going throughout uh, 2022, we recommend they join Many Happy Miles, our annual membership program. This is our last call for it, as you well know, Katie, yes. um, that uh, membership closes. The last date to register is January 9th, which is this Sunday. And it is um, workouts for every single day of the year. There's no, you don't have to, there's no race on the calendar. Although if you do have races in 2022, you can easily merge a training program with Many Happy Miles. There is strength, live strength workouts, or well, they're live via Zoom. Um, There's webinars with amazing speakers, including, I know we have Kara Goucher and um, perhaps another top um, professional runner lined up for the year, as well as other experts. Um, Everybody- (laughs) Des London. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we get, uh, everybody gets 15% on all many heavy milers get uh, 15% off from our store and any train like a mother club programs throughout the whole year. That's huge. Um, what else am I? Oh, I mean, discounts from some of our partners, um, just all sorts of, all sorts of good stuff. So if you want to hop on the many happy miles train, head on over to anothermotherrunner.com and there's training in the top navigation bar and the drop down menu, you'll see many happy miles. So again, head on over to another mother runner to sign up for that. Oh, and you get a really cool welcome gift. It's either a journal that Dimity wrote or a super cute t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Yes. You can jog. I mean, run all year long. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Thank you.